Award-winning coverage lives right here on WMUL-FM Huntington, WFGH-FM Fort Gay, and WTHM-LP Ravenswood, West Virginia. I'm dropping the hammer. No, you're not. Welcome to Speed Zone, the best motorsports show on radio. I'm your host, Ben Cower, and across the next hour, we'll recap everything. Yes, everything in racing that happened in the last week. We'll discuss the latest news and cap it all off with a star-studded interview. So buckle up, rev your motor, and drop the hammer, because this is Speed Zone. And welcome, everybody, back to Speed Zone. That's right, we're back in the second half of the season. It's the fall now, and there's still racing happening. That's the beautiful thing about racing is it continues to happen all year long. It happens in the spring. It happens in the summer. It happens in the fall. It just it, Some of it even happens in the winter. So uh, we got plenty to talk about tonight. A lot of racing has happened over the summer. We'll recap all of that. Obviously, the NASCAR action this past weekend at Daytona and Milwaukee. IndyCar, Formula One, World of Outlaws. You name it, we're going to talk about it here in just a moment. Because guess what? It's time for Flag to Flag, the segment where we recap the week that was in motorsports. Welcome to Flag to Flag, a recap of the week that was in motorsports, as Ben Cower covers everything you might have missed in this past week of racing action. So, we'll start out with the NASCAR trucks. A return to the Milwaukee Mile for the first time in over a decade. And it was Grant Enfinger coming out on top in his GMS Racing number 23 truck. Grant Enfinger, again, clinching his way into the next round of the playoffs uh, in the truck series, that is, as uh, he dominated the race. Carson Hosevar came up short in second, but still a good run for the number 42 Nice Motorsports truck. Christian Eckes in third with a podium finish. Corey Heim, who's had a solid, solid finish and really every all the last 11 races, top 10s and the last 11 races in a row for Corey Heim. So a fantastic streak for him in the Tricon Motorsports Tundra. And Matt Crafton, the veteran stalwart in P5. We'll head on to the Xfinity Series in Daytona, where it was Justin Allgaier by a nose. That's right, over Sheldon Creed, the eternal bridesmaid in the Xfinity Series. Really, his Xfinity Series career summed up in a nutshell. Sheldon Creed comes up just short again. He finishes second, though, and a solid place into the playoffs, as we'll be talking about that later on in the show. Daniel Emmerich, the former Xfinity Series champion, finished a solid P3. Parker Kligerman in his number 48 Chevrolet, a fourth-place finish at Daytona, and Cole Custer in the double-zero for Stuart Haas Racing rounds out the top five. Then the Cup Series race at Daytona, the Coke Zero Sugar 400, and it was Chris Busher taking home the victory in the 5th, 3rd Bank Mustang. And just a little fun fact about that, Chris Busher, for the last five weeks, not only uh, really uh, two wins through his name with a win in the Bristol Night Race last year and a rain-shortened win at Pocono, or fog-shortened, I should clarify, win at Pocono in 2016 is very much an underdog, but... The fun stat being, in the last five weeks, Chris Buescher has three wins, and he won in the fifth third bank car. He uh, scored the victory at Daytona and held off a potential another winner, a new winner, that would have clinched somebody into the playoffs. So very thankful was Bubba Wallace, who will be making his first playoff appearance in the in the NASCAR Cup Series. Brad Keselowski, teammate of Chris Buescher, helped push Chris Buescher to the win, and he finished second. I'm sure he's not that... Uh, angry about that. Second place with the team car winning. I'm sure he's very pleased. Eric Almarola, really one of his best runs this season in the Stuart Haas number 10 car. Uh, he finished P3. Chase Elliott Close but no cigar could not close out with the much-needed victory to end up making the playoffs. Again, we will be talking about that certainly later on in the show. And Joey Logano, last year's champion, rounds out the top five. Alex Bowman in sixth, Kyle Busch in P7, William Byron in P8, Kevin Harvick his last time at Daytona in P9, and Corey LaJoey 
rounds out the top 10 and another solid run in his Spire number 7 Camaro. Now on to ARCA. It was William Sawalich taking home the victory at at the Milwaukee Mile as a doubleheader at the Mile uh, this past weekend, and he had to boot, scoot, and boogie Jesse Love out of the way, and Love was not too happy about it as uh, there was plenty of contact in that race, and it wasn't just between those two. Sawalich took home the victory, Jesse Love in second. Sean Hingarani finished P3. Connor Jones uh, roughed up uh, another car earlier on in the race and sent the uh, arrival at least f- way wide uh, in the middle of the race. And there was a confrontation on pit road after the race and Grant Enfinger doing double duty uh, for Cody Robaugh's team, West Virginia native. Uh, he finished P5 in a rare ARCA appearance. Now on to IndyCar in St. Louis. It was Scott Dixon as he continues to dispel Father Time. The long, long time veteran of the IndyCar series took home his second victory this season and a late surge in the point standings. Dixon was the winner as uh, Pato O'Ward for McLaren in P2 up short once again and a great run for David Malukas in P3 was great at St. Louis last year in an underdog team for Dale Coyne and he finishes on the podium once again in St. Louis this year. Now on to Formula 1 really the story of the season has been Max Verstappen. He's just won basically everything so far this season. And his home race in the Dutch Grand Prix, it was no different. Max Verstappen took home the victory for Red Bull as uh, Fernando Alonso for Aston Martin finished P2. And Pierre Gasly, finally a bright spot this season for Alpine as he took home a, the third and final podium finish on the day. The Cars Tour at Wake County Speedway uh, this past weekend in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it was Carson Kvapel going from last to first to take home the victory for Junior Motorsports. Mason Diaz finished in P2 and Ronnie Bassett Jr. rounded out the top three. Now on to the Smart Mod Tour at Ace Speedway. It was Burt Myers taking home the victory. Ryan Newman, who will be racing in the Cup Series event this weekend, finished in second place. Bobby Mesimer Jr. was in P3. Brandon Ward in fourth and Carson Lofton in P5. Finally, the World of Outlaws at River City Speedway this past Friday and Saturday. Race 1 and 2 were swept by Logan Schuchert. Uh, it was in Race 1, Schuchert, Howdenshield, and Donnie Schatz. And in Race 2, Schuchert, Gravel, and Buddy Kofoid. So that'll do it for Flag to Flag. When we come back, we'll have well, What's Up This Week, the great segment that'll tell you what the heck's going on this upcoming week in racing. Coming up next on Speed Zone. worldwide leader of Marshall University sports coverage. So Marshall in North Carolina, about 45 seconds away from tip-off here inside the Dean Dome. High atop the Liberty Bowl. Broadcasting from what we'll call affectionately the tool shed. As the kick is high and end over end, we're underway here at Lane Stadium. Welcome back to the Wallstein Center in downtown Cleveland, Ohio. Marshall women's basketball on the brain. WMUL-FM Huntington. And welcome back to Speed Zone. It's time for What's Up This Week. I love this segment because I get to tell you at home what the heck's up this week. What's going on in racing? When should I tune in for some racing action? We got, it's jam-packed Thursday through Monday. That's right. We got five days of racing to talk about. We'll start out with Thursday. The World of Outlaws in Burlington, Washington for night one of the Sage Fruit Skagit Nationals at uh, Skagit Speedway. Then again on Friday, it'll be the World of Outlaws again at Skagit Speedway for night two again of the Sage Fruit Nationals. Saturday will be the Smart Modified Tour at Carter County Speedway and the Carteret Clash and the NASCAR Xfinity Series will be visiting Darlington at 3.30 p.m. Just announced earlier today, Denny Hamlin's going to be in that race, so will he stink up the show or will it be an Xfinity regular taking home the victory in the uh, first playoff race this season? Uh for the Xfinity Series, just to specify. And then the NASCAR Well and Modified Tour will visit Oswego, New York at 7 p.m. for the Toyota Mod Classic 150. And then also Saturday night, night three of three for the Sage Fruit Skagit Nationals for the World of Outlaws Tour. Then on Sunday... It's Formula One at Monza, bright and early at 9 a.m. Will Max Verstappen win again? 
Probably, but uh, you have to tune in to find out uh, for the Italian Grand Prix. Then IndyCar at Portland International Raceway for the Grand Prix of Portland at 3 p.m. As uh, just the second to last race of this season, the points race getting real tight. Will Alex Pillow hang on or will a contender come up from behind and snatch the championship away? Tune in to find out. And then the NASCAR Cup Series in Darlington for the Southern 500 what else could you ask for? It's the Southern 500. It's the first race of the playoffs. It's going to be absolutely loaded with action on Saturday night. A day loaded, or excuse me, Sunday. Uh, that'll be Sunday, not Saturday. My bad. But Sunday, Saturday, both really loaded with action. So tune in for plenty of racing. And then Monday, or not to forget, on the at the same time as the Southern 500, uh, It'll be ARCA at DeCoin at 9 p.m. for some dirt racing under the lights at Illinois. So if you want to go split-screen mode and you want to watch the Southern 500 on one screen and then you want to watch uh, ARCA at DeCoin uh, on another, then do that. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I'm sure nothing wacky will happen at DeCoin as it did last year. And then Monday, the World of Outlaws back in action again as it visits Grays Harbor Raceway in Elma, Washington. So, plenty of racing action upcoming this week uh, across multiple, multiple series. And uh, we'll be getting to talk about some of them coming up on the Racing Roundtable segment right here on Speed Zone. worldwide leader of Marshall University sports coverage. Welcome back to Joint Perry Stadium in Bowling Green, Ohio, a stone's throw from I-75. Back inside the KFC Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. And welcome back inside the MAC Center here in Kent, Ohio. Marshall women's basketball preparing to take on the Golden Flashes. From Millet Hall in Oxford, Ohio, the campus of Miami University. Here atop Dowdy Ficklin Stadium in the Emerald City, Greenville, North Carolina. WMUL-FM Huntington. If you don't want to listen, get your earplugs ready, because we're about to hear some high-octane debate. It's time for the Racing Roundtable, with your host Ben Cower and multiple guest panelists. Whew, now that that's over, who's at the table today? Yeah, who is at the table today? First episode back, it shouldn't be a surprise. Who else would it be but Dale Garrett and Sean Kelly? Welcome back to the show, you, you two. It's great to be back. It's great to be back here in the Speed Zone studio. It's the first episode back. We're getting through some technical issues here. Dale, what mic are you? Five. You told me you're not five. <laughs> Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ben. How are you? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. We're off to a great start. We're getting, uh, well, as, as you just, said in the break, we're getting back in, getting back into the saddle. We're we're it's back in the saddle again. Dale, try now. How about now? Oh, I can hear you, Dale. There we Loud go. and clear. What mic are you? I am mic six. Oh, you are mic six. Okay, so I'm going to turn off all the mics that we're not using. Sean, I'm just making sure. You're number two, right? Numero dos. Okay. We're ready to roll, guys. So let's start out with the first topic tonight. Daytona. It just happened. A lot happened in the races, in the Xfinity race and the Cup Series race. I guess just as a general question, thoughts on it? Anything stick out to you in particular? I thought both both of the races were great, Xfinity and Cup. Um, the Cup race had a lot of nice, a lot of nice uh, parity in it. Mm -hmm. A lot of different guys up front. Three wide without crashing. It was great for a while. Uh, to not have a bunch of torn up cars early or late, as a matter of fact. I don't have off the top of my head how many cars finished the race, but I know it was a lot more than we typically see or have seen um, in recent Super Speedway races. Um, I did notice during qualifying, cup qualifying, that the surface is aging once again. That'll be very interesting going forward because I saw the cars bouncing around a lot more than uh, I've normally seen them doing, and it brought back uh, pre-2007 vibes when the cars would bounce around. It, it, now that you say that, I I do understand what you're saying, and especially with what we'll get into later with the wreck of you know Ryan Priest uh, that uh, that flip, which reminded me of another pre-2007 wreck with Ryan Newman also at Daytona. But overall, I thought both were exciting races to watch. Um, 
I mean, disregarding the obvious playoff implications with Bubba Wallace winning and getting himself into the playoffs, it was good to see him, especially with the season he had where there were many times throughout the season where he would have a good race, but then something would happen or he would be he would finish in, in the top five, but he would come out of the come out of the car in the post race interview and just look absolutely dejected every single time. It, it was it was nice to see him actually happy and relieved after the after this race. It was it was much needed for him. Disappointing for Chase Elliott, especially me as a fan of Chase Elliott. But I, I mean, this race really wasn't anything too unlike what he's had all season where he's had a consistent top 10 to 5 placement throughout a race but just not strong enough to finish the race same thing with it same thing with Xfinity in terms of the racing especially the finish with Sheldon Creed getting that last last lap push for the lead even though he didn't get the win it was still exciting to see so close so close once again was Sheldon Creed uh i loved the the cup race at Daytona was so exciting. Easily one of the most exhilarating plate races. Maybe the best one with this Gen 6 car. Or the next-gen car. Not Gen 6. Uh, this next-gen car. Uh, cars were able to make runs. They had drafting. Uh, you know, that usually happens. But uh, just the quality of the racing. It was exciting. They went three wide. And four wide at some points in the cup race. Four wide, and these cars at Daytona. Rare. They could pass. They could pass. It was... Rare that that's successful, I should say. Yeah, it was a little weird seeing that, because these cars usually haven't gone more than two wide at the plate races. At least the past couple years, they certainly didn't at Dega, and Talladega's a lot wider. It's four lanes, you know? Whereas Daytona is really only three, and yet, yet they tried four wide, and they didn't wreck. It didn't wreck, so it was uh, it was impressive overall. Uh, I mean, what else can you say about Chris Busher and RFK Racing? It has had such a phenomenal resurgence so far this season. So strong, really, at every track. It was a strategic rebuild by Brad Keselowski, and even though he himself hasn't won, I'm sure he's overjoyed that his team is winning. And uh, I'm sure he'll want to get himself won by the end of the year, but it might happen, it might not. But he's in the playoffs, and so is his other driver, Chris Buescher, and that program is certainly uh, it's going very well right now. And on the Xfinity side, I mean, just heartbroken for Creed again. So close. He's cleaned up his racecraft this year at, compared to last year. He's in the playoffs, but obviously Creed just... It just didn't happen again. It just didn't happen again. He just couldn't get it done. So close, but no cigar. And Justin or Justin Allgaier gets him by a nose in another thriller of a race. And uh, overall, I thought at Daytona this past weekend, it was very exciting racing. And you mentioned the resurgence of RFK racing as well. That That's another thing that I've noticed, not just in this past Daytona race with Kozlowski finishing second and Chris Buescher winning as well, but also two weeks ago, as previously mentioned with Kozlowski finishing fourth, seeing him a lot more in the... In a, lot, a lot more top five finishes mm-hmm. and throughout the season, it's... It's another surprise to see, not just in Daytona, but throughout the entire season. Yeah, Brad was just going in circles. Remember that? That was funny. <laughs> Fire, my view. Anyway. Um. <laughs> he was driving in circles on the backstretch. I still... What was that about? There was a fire that was coming through the inside of the car, and it smelled mm-hmm. horrible, and he's like, man, I need to get some air out of here. <laughs> he just starts turning laps on the um, the late model Daytona backstretch. No, he was uh, just going around in circles, trying to funnel air in and outside of that car to get some fresh air. I love that Elton Sawyer was just like, well, he outsmarted us. He didn't, they didn't, get, he didn't get penalized for that, where a lot of the drivers that were stopped on the backstretch because it was a red flag... And Brad was just driving in circles uh, under the red flag, and usually everybody's supposed to stop, but Brad didn't, and then he didn't get penalized for it. And Elton Sawyer, uh, who uh, is a high-ranking official in the NASCAR Cup Series, is, oh, you know, he got us on that one. I can't, we can't get him on that. But would uh, they have said the same thing in 2002? Sterling Marlin? No. <laughs> no, they would not have. No. Times have changed. Times no. have changed. I was just trying to pull out the fender a little bit. Hey, we're not moving. You can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. Uh, 
and we we can't talk about Daytona this weekend without mentioning. So we're, we're going to make it a topic of its own. Ryan Priest, he went flipping. He did, in fact, flip a lot of times in a very, very scary accident. And miraculously, Ryan Priest stepped out of the car after flipping. What was it? Near 18 times on the backstretch. Something crazy. It was. Unbelievable! If you have not watched the wreck, go to YouTube right now. Go look it up on the internet. Go look up the Ryan Priest Daytona crash, because oh my goodness, that was the most violent flip I think I might have ever witnessed watching an NASCAR race. I mean, at least in the modern, I guess in the in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably since I don't know, Elliot Sadler looped it, went up and over a Dega in 2003, or. Is that the card? Newman's crash in 2020. Yeah, Newman's crash at Daytona in 2020, certainly up there with with that. I think Newman's was probably worse on the injury scale, considering Priest got out, which is Mm -hmm. insane to think about after flipping that many times. But uh, well, Newman's crash in itself was yes a crash and a flip, but this was a somersault and over and mm -hmm. endless twirl. The the first thing, as I mentioned earlier, that this wreck reminded me of was another Ryan Newman crash from 2003, also at Daytona, yes. where he also went airborne and went flipping. I forget if that was on the front stretch or the it back was. stretch. It was. Yes. Front stretch. But the thing that stuck out to me is that, unlike that, where when Newman went in to the medical center, Halifax Medical Center in Daytona, he was originally listed at a serious condition after the wreck. Meanwhile, Priest, today, or a couple days ago now, I, I, I guess I should say. Saturday night. Saturday night was taken out of the hospital that day. He was he was cleared that day. Mm-hmm. So it's not only that, but Ryan Blaney's wreck as well, are both testaments to how much the safety has improved both on the track inside the car everything to where two very similar crashes that excuse me almost 20 years ago would have resulted in an injury mm-hmm. now result in nothing injury injury wise that other wreck you're mentioning ryan blaney's hard shot in the turn four wall earlier on in the race just head head first or nose first i guess the front of the car that's the furthest I think I've ever seen the safer barrier push back, at least in a wreck at Daytona in a, in a long while. It was a hard. That's a, a miracle that Blaney didn't have a concussion after that wreck. But with the Priest wreck, and specific, like specifically, it's what these cars were almost designed to do. Where it's because of the Newman wreck in 2020 that these chassis are built so <laughs> indestructible, and it does have its flaws where. Still a big issue is if a driver takes a a rear shot into the wall, if they hit, I guess, the the rear of the car first into the wall, I mean, it gave Noah Gragson a concussion earlier this year. That's still a a big issue with these cars. But in horrific crashes such as Ryan Priest's, the core of the car, it doesn't budge at all. And although it was an incredibly violent wreck, and even scarier in the wreck, might I add, the roof hatch fell off. Gone. Gone. Which you can see his helmet in the, quoting Mike Bagley of of the Motor Racing Network, the pirouettes that he was doing down the back straightaway. You can see his helmet out of the roof of the car. That's a a little frightening. And at the same time, his window net came unbuckled too. Mm -hmm. It was in some of the last rotations, but two things that are not supposed to happen that it's not NASCAR's fault. That's, and I mean, it's a, a wreck that barely, if ever, happens to a wreck that violent on the backstretch with that many G forces of just rotation. Uh, I mean, that's not supposed to happen. And I'm sure, obviously, NASCAR R and D took that car back this weekend or after this weekend, and is having a probably a good look. And we'll probably have a chat with Stuart Haas Racing this week about why exactly the roof hatch went flying off and why exactly the window net failed. Possibly. that's uh, not supposed to happen. To put it lightly. <laughs> yeah, not supposed to happen, but thank goodness Ryan Priest is okay. Uh, as of now, he's racing this weekend at Darlington, which is unbelievable within itself. They, they build these modified guys differently. <laughs> 
guys up from the Northeast. They build them differently. In, in the Wheel and Modifieds, and Ryan Priest obviously built tough. It's what he said on Twitter. you got to be tough if you want to be a race car driver. And certainly Ryan Priest, if he goes and races this weekend, even regardless, if you raced, I don't think a human, the average human being, if they were in that wreck, would never want to be in a car ever again, probably. Most likely, yeah. The wreck was so violent, the mandatory in-car camera that was within the car broke on the first rotation. There is a video of it out there on YouTube, and I believe also on Twitter and or X, whatever you call it, where the car goes up in the air, and then you see the grass getting closer and closer to the windshield. And if you've ever looked out the window while your plane is taking off, and you see the ground going very, very fast, it was about that speed. And imagine your your car windshield, mind you, upside down, hurtling towards the ground with the grass visible like that at that speed and then you just happen to uh, hit the turf and then flip over 18 times or so on the back straightaway it's uh, just slightly frightening (laughs) and going back to Ryan Blaney's wreck as well which you mentioned earlier I I was looking at the replay of it on uh, when I was doing research you can see the you could see his head kind of bobble a little bit, and you can see him wince. But other than that, there really wasn't much in the way of movement. And you mentioned how you were surprised that he didn't get a concussion from that wreck, and you could see in the wreck his, his the dent that was left with the wall. But yeah, it's going back to my previous point. It's the safety has improved a lot in the last 20 years to where Blaney really only came out with a wince, and that was about it. So, it's the top of the hour, so we're going to take a quick break here, and then we'll be right back here on Speed Zone to uh, re-engage in this conversation. we got plenty more topics to talk about tonight, so again, we'll just take a quick break here, and more uh, racing action and racing talk up next here on Speed Zone. <laughs> Award-winning coverage lives right here on WMUL-FM Huntington, WFGH-FM Fort Gay, and WTHM-LP Ravenswood, West Virginia. The worldwide leader in Marshall University sports coverage. Welcome back to Raleigh, North Carolina, here high atop Carter-Finley Stadium. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome inside Memorial Coliseum in Lexington, Kentucky. The Thundering Herd will be taking on the number 22 team in the country here in the fifth oldest stadium in college football, Nippert Stadium. Inside Value City Arena at Jerome Schoenstein Center. The Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to Speed Zone. I'm Ben Cower, your host, and we're here tonight with Dale Garrett and Sean Kelly, members of our racing round table round table panel. Excuse me, there's that's a lot of words to say. And it's again, it's the first episode back, so we're still getting into the swing of things, but we got plenty left to talk about tonight. We were just talking about Ryan Priest and that horrific flip uh this past weekend, and obviously that tough hit for Ryan Blaney. It's a miracle that he didn't have a concussion after that. But both drivers presumably okay. Ryan Priest and Blaney expected to race this weekend. Blaney's in the playoffs. Priest is not in the playoffs. And we'll use that as a segue into our next topic. The playoffs. It's here. The NASCAR playoffs have begun. And it will or it will begin this weekend, at least in the NASCAR Cup Series, with the Southern 500 at Darlington. So, I pose to the panel... And the round table, I guess I should specify. Obviously, what are your predictions for the NASCAR playoffs? We're going to start with you, Dale. We're probably going to see a lot of the same that we have been seeing with the top guys in points like Hamlin, Truex, Byron, um, guys like that. I don't see their dominance changing, and I'm not sure if I can give the edge to any of them just yet. Truex has been more consistent than Byron and Hamlin, but we will see. Um, I went ahead and said the first four out are going to be McDowell, Stenhouse, Chastain. And before I say my last one, let me say about Chastain, is because that team is not where they need to be. And they haven't been for 
a while. And Chastain, I noticed, has been really, really cold since his lat since his win in mm. Nashville, I believe. But when I was looking back at it, I, I think there was really only one top ten, and that was a seventh place finish somewhere along the line. And that was about it. Other than that, Chastain's been cold since since Nashville. And he was cold before Nashville. Like in the six hundred, he ran atrocious. It was it was bad. <laughs> yeah, it was. Trackhouse has been off for the last couple months. I mean, it's pretty big that Daniel Suarez didn't make the playoffs this year. Yep. That's he's a a winning driver last year. Was obviously very consistent last year. This year, that ninety nine team struggled a lot with consistency, and it really didn't help that in the second half of the season, at least so far. Really earlier than that, outside of very select races. Trackhouse just didn't have the speed that it did at the beginning of the season, and especially last season when Chastain was just one position away from winning a title. And that team, it will be certainly tested here in the playoffs. I mean, Chastain obviously has the driving talent to get to the Final Four, but will the team have the speed? Will Can Trackhouse actually get it done? We'll just have to wait and see. My last one I had was and I put a lot of thought into this because I looked at all the playoff drivers, looked at average finishes, how they've been running lately, and so on and so forth. But they've been backed into a corner before and they've they've conquered is Joey Logano. I have him as one of my first four out because, again, that team is also where the, the, they haven't been toward the front and Penske as a whole has been struggling, but Ford has upped their game in recent weeks. So maybe it could change. I don't know. Um, but Logano is... My last one out. I'll bounce between him and Reddick because Reddick is either at the front or crashing. So, <laughs> I went with McDowell and Stenhouse Jr. as, as well. And then the, the the last two were really tough for me because I, I, I considered at least four different options. I could definitely see Chastain going out first. We mentioned him just a couple seconds ago. Kyle Busch, if he he's had a lot of eggs, he can exit early. I wouldn't say first four, but maybe the next round. Considering that he's had a lot of races where he's had a solid performance throughout, but will get involved in some sort of wreck and then exit early, and he can't really afford to do that again in the playoffs. He's had a lot of bad luck. Yeah, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say he's the first four out, but I'd probably say the last two, Chastain, and then. Brad Keselowski, even though he had a good he had a good finish last week at Daytona, and he's had a pretty good bounce back year, but I don't believe he can he can stay consistent enough to survive. So I'd probably say him as the as one of the last four to leave, but it's in the upper echelon of those four. Yeah, you know, I one one thing I want to talk about, I guess, with the playoffs before any predictions is just the the names that missed the playoffs this year. I mean, Chase Elliott obviously is the big one. Daniel Suarez missing was massive. Uh, Ty Gibbs was so close. Really came on in the second half of the season as a rookie and was just very very close. Just got a little too greedy there in the uh, at Daytona and got caught up in that Ryan Blaney wreck. Uh, Alex Bowman was leading the points earlier this year and then had that unfortunate injury to his back and then. That 48 team was just sadly not the same after that. It's been since 2016, since two Hendrick Motorsports cars missed the playoffs. And arguably, the, I mean, Hendrick has been... It, ha- it hasn't fallen off this year. I mean, William Byron has been arguably the most dominant driver in the series this year. He has the most wins of anybody. He's got five before the playoffs begin. So it's not like Hendrick... The, the cars have fallen off at all. But certainly... A little bit of a surprise, but I wouldn't be shocked though if uh, teams look at how what happened with Hendrick this year and then might get a little protective of their drivers in the future when it comes to oh you know allowing them to go run the dirt you know go run a dirt race in the middle of the season or uh, going and running you know uh, snowboarding, snowboarding so to say uh, I guess my other big not not much of a shocker with how the team has run this year but a lot of the Ford I guess Stuart Haas as a whole and Ford teams like Austin Sindrick not making it this year sophomore slump 
that's fairly excusable. But then again, he had a, a real rough season this year for a Penske car. And, I mean, Harrison Burton, not to be met. You know, Harrison Burton is also, he's driving for the Wood Brothers, but that is a Penske car. Those cars are prepped in the Penske shop, you know, and he's 30th in points, you know. And uh, you look at Stuart Haas Racing, Briscoe's season was kind of a wash after that massive penalty earlier on in the season. He's 31st. And then you have uh, Priest 26th, Almirola 23rd, and then Harvick didn't win. He just squeaked into the playoffs. He clinched right before Daytona with Keselowski. So he was very consistent, but the four car hasn't had winning speed in, gee, since, what, the beginning of the season at Phoenix? He almost won that race, and... Stuart Haas as a whole is just very struggled and has struggled a lot and you know we'll bring that up later on in the in the discussion here but I guess talking about the playoffs it's I'd be remiss to say that William Byron isn't a title favorite uh, that team of, of him and Rudy Fugel has just been I wouldn't say unstoppable this year but it's it has the ability to show up anywhere anytime and win I would say if I had to pick a favorite to win I would probably say Martin Truex Jr. Since his last win in New Hampshire, six of his last seven races have been top ten finishes. Mm-hmm. As Dale mentioned, he's probably been the most consistent driver as of late, and I think that will win out in the end. Denny Hamlin has also had four top fives in, in his last six races, and you already mentioned William Byron, but I think since Truex, Truex has been the most consistent, I think that will edge him out over Byron and Hamlin, who have been a little a little less consistent than than Truex, so that's why I would say Truex. I'd be remiss though, or, or I, you know, I think William Byron is the best shot. Obviously, he has the most wins. He has, he's tied for the most points with Truex, with you know the the playoff bump in the regular season championship going to Truex over Byron. But I like Chris Busher. I'm on the Chris Busher train. From Prosper, Texas, thirty thousand people town with of thirty thousand people. Town of thirty thousand people, in the words of Rick Allen, and uh, lead commentator for NASCAR and on NBC, and in a, in a victory call at that. But I love Chris Busher this season. He's really come on strong late, and sometimes, I mean, you see it in other sports too. It's not always the best team that goes all the way. I would know. I'm a Boston Bruins fan. It had the best season ever of anybody this past season. And then, you know, William Byron and or or Martin Truex, you know, the best of the best so far this year. And you know what happened to the Boston Bruins? Eliminated in the first round. In heartbreaking fashion, might I add. Found a way to turn it back to the Boston Bruins. Oh, I always do. Don't you worry. And I think that's entirely possible if a team and or a driver with a team, such as Chris Buescher, you know, you look at the Florida Panthers. That eliminated the Boston Bruins. It went to the Stanley Cup Finals. It lost, but that was in seven games. There's only one race at the end of the season, and I think it just matters who is strongest at the end of the season. If you make the playoffs and you are not way behind and you don't accumulate some stupid penalty, of which RFK hasn't gotten this year, those cars are quick. Kozlowski's good, but Busher's better, and Busher just continues to win. I really like Chris Busher. I love the 17 car, and honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if he's the... I wouldn't necessarily anybody say anybody's a true championship favorite, because there is a lot of good drivers at the top, but I like the momentum of that 17 team, and I, I like him for the championship. If I had to, if, if I had to put in a bet, it would be him. So your four would be Truex, Hamlin, Byron, and Busher. I'd say Busher, Byron, Truex, and Christopher Bell. I think Bell maneuvers his way to the Final Four again. He always he did last year, or nearly did last year, but I think Bell, Busher, Truex, and Byron are the Final Four at Phoenix. Okay. So I also have Bell in my Final Four. Okay. I, I do not have Busher. Okay. I have the three that I previously mentioned. I don't have Busher. Um, you know, he could get... It could be a Chastain story, you know, where he just has a breakout year and Mm -hmm. goes all the way. I would love to see that. Oh, yeah. But I just don't... I don't know. Bell Bell has been silently consistent all year long, really. Mm -hmm. But especially over the last couple of weeks. 
I would probably say the top four of Byron, Truex, Hamlin, and Busher stay in the top four. Not the most interesting pick, but that's that's what that's what I'm going with. I think I think Busher continues the hot streak that he's been on, and the top three of Hamlin, Truex, and Byron have been. Byron leads in the win and wins, and Truex and Hamlin have been very consistent as of late, as I mentioned. So I would say the top four just continue to dominate. I think something's going to happen with Hamlin. Uh, and not to mention, there's obviously the off track distractions ongoing right now, and that played a big factor in Kyle Bush crumbling in the playoffs last year. I mean, he was trying to negotiate a contract with Toyota, but. You know, he had Kyle Busch Motorsports. He was a team owner and a driver for Joe Gibbs and trying to negotiate with TRD. And obviously things fell apart. He ended up at RCR. And Denny Hamlin right now doesn't have a contract for next year, officially with Gibbs. And 2311 still hasn't re-upped with Toyota next year. And the hot rumor in the garage is that Ford's trying to poach it. And I think those issues could bleed into the playoffs. It was a distraction for Kyle Busch last year. And then once he announced he was signing with RCR, predictably the performance went all the way down. They were probably giving Kyle R&D cars at that point. He was so slow at Martinsville last year that it was not, there's no way Kyle, it was Kyle Busch. But either way, I think that's going to be the hang-up for Hamlin. Is I, I think that'll keep him from getting into the Final Four. I think his performance will be weighed down just a tad because of just some of the things going on off the track. And something will happen. It always seems to happen with Hamlin to prevent him from even either getting to the Final Four or winning that elusive championship. Uh, you know, very much a Mark Martin in that sense. Just close, but no cigar. Just can't get there and is going to be a Hall of Fame driver anyway. So, we'll move on to the next topic. Let's talk about some surprises and disappointments of the regular season. I ask you both for three, uh, but obviously we have about 14 minutes left in the program tonight, maybe a minute or two more than that because we started a couple minutes late uh, after the trade-off from Sports Buzz right before. So let's start out with the surprises. We'll start out with positivity. What surprised you guys in the regular season? Give us a couple. Sean, we'll start with you. For the Cup Series, at least, my surprises are all track-related. And okay. the biggest surprise for me was the success of the Chicago Street Race. I remember we talked about it when it first came up in the beginning of the season. And I was very skeptical skeptical from the beginning of the success of it. I, th- I thought originally it was an interesting gimmick, but I didn't really think much of it else past that. But... It became one of my, if not my favorite race of the season. And I didn't even watch it on TV for most of it. I, I was coming back from a, a trip from Philadelphia, and I listened to most of it on the radio. But everything I saw from that race, from the race that Shane Van Gins- Gisbergen had, to just the shot of him coming across the finish line with the city in the background, that was great. But my other surprises, I would say seeing North Wilkesboro become NASCAR ready by 2023. Oh, certainly. With how dilapidated that track was for decades on end and really the only uh, resurgence of life that it had was one time in the early 2010s and maybe like one other time where you saw Kevin Harvick do some testing uh, in the 29 car uh, around that same time. He, but, raised, he ran the all-star race in the 29 car. Yeah. Just in a one-off, but it was cool to see that come back. But seeing that ready and as, as quick as it became ready was interesting to see. And finally, the exciting race that we saw in Atlanta. Atlanta has been one of my least favorite tracks, and there was a lot of close racing throughout that race, and you saw Byron reportedly running on on fumes as the leader until the race was called with 94 to go. It was, a, it was surprising to see such interesting racing throughout that entire that entire race when in years past, it, it, that really hasn't been the case. Dale, you. Oh, it's on to me. Yeah, okay. it's on to you now, Dale. 
Yeah, Sean, you bring up a good point with Chicago. That was one of my one of my positives and surprises. But I want to focus more on the driver who won that race of SVG mm-hmm. Shane Van Gisbergen. Incredible. Gisbergen. Whatever. One word. Don't be Rick Allen. <laughs> anyway. Shane Van Gisbergen. <laughs> it's one syllable. Well, not one syllable, but it's just one word. All right. For the purpose of this, SVG. <laughs> um, Incredible what he what he what he came over here oh, and did. Absolutely. Probably first, first driver in sixty years to win in his debut mm-hmm. as well. Yep. And just an incredible drive there at the end getting around Justin Haley who my goodness, he gave it all he had. Mm-hmm. Um so that was really awesome to see and I'll be interested to see where he goes forward because obviously he's gonna stay in the NASCAR world. He raced in the truck series earlier mm-hmm. earlier this month and he finished in the top 20 finished 19th in indianapolis so uh, he'll be sticking around yeah. a while yep. he signed that futures deal with track house and uh, at least just as a quick diversion dale i will let you finish i with regards to van gisbergen you know what dale i'll let you finish and then i'll go into it on my three all right my other positive and surprise was we kind of covered it already was chris busher and rfk mm-hmm. their recent speed um Another debate we can have that we do not have time for is is Ford on their way back. Mm-hmm. And that leads into my other positive and surprise is Michael McDowell. Oh, How yeah. about that front row 34 car mm-hmm. running the top 10 more times than it ever should have been? Mm-hmm. Is out here killing it. And he, he won uh, the Indianapolis Road Course, and he's just up front all the time. And it really pains me to say that he's going to be one of the first, first four out, but I, I just don't see him advancing. I don't. Yeah, with the th- the three tracks coming up, I mean, it's Darlington, Kansas, and Bristol. And it's not like the 34 is necessarily not strong at those tracks, but I think the other teams might outpace them. But who knows? Anything is possible in the playoffs. I agree. Michael McDowell was, was one. Uh, the, the street race was another one. I guess just to be uh, different, you know, considering it was just the regular season as a whole, uh, I really loved the great racing on the, I guess, the resurgence of great racing at the, you know what, I'll go with a different one. The cleaning up of the racecraft over the season. That's what I'll go with. I, I like the cleaning up of the racecraft, and I know people were unhappy with almost how quick the Indy Road Course and, and Watkins Glen went by where there were literally no incidents, and there was one at Indy, and then with Justin Haley very early on. And then nothing at the Glen. It was the quickest race of like the modern era. At least that it's already kind of down on race distance. But the cleaning up of the racecraft, especially at road courses, I think was very impressive compared to Circuit of the Americas, where people were just up in arms about how messy that was. I mean, it was almost at a breaking point at that time of the season, where it was so early on. There was a lot of new faces in that race. It left a bad taste in the mouth of a lot of the ringers that it. You know, come in to enjoy that race. I know Kimi Raikkonen obviously was bouncing off of people and really fit into it, but Jensen Button had a rather uh, poor introduction to the Cup Series, and same thing with uh, uh, Jordan Taylor and in the in the nine car filling in for Chase Elliott, and it was a rough go at it. But as the season's gone on, uh, obviously there were some big wrecks at Daytona, but overall the cleaning up of the racecraft it's gotten better. I think getting rid of the stage cautions at road courses has certainly helped with that where they don't bunch up the field artificially again and again and again and people are able to spread out run their own race have their own strategy i've liked the improvement of the racecraft as the season has gone on people might argue that the races are snoozers but it's I, natural it's natural exactly it's natural races are supposed to be you don't want it to be loaded up with cautions there can be spectacular wrecks at you know at Daytona, there's always going to be at least one, but it doesn't need to be one every single week. It doesn't need to be massive wrecks every single week. I don't think anybody wants that, and I know that was a big issue early on in the season. And I'm glad that's kind of slowly but surely resolved itself. But who knows what will happen in the playoffs? Chaos might erupt again. So with that, I wanted to just clarify on the Van Gisbergen point too. He signed that futures deal with Trackhouse. I think a big thing that is coming up in the future is the ending of the charter agreement. That's over at the end, or by the end of 2024. 
So NASCAR right now, excuse me, I just had to resituate myself so I could I could tell a little bit of a story. The teams in NASCAR are, are at odds right now with, regarding the charter situation, and it's putting people like Shane Van Gisbergen kind of in a a cryogenic stasis for almost a year of like they can't you know he can go run part time in Cup, but it would make no sense running that car full-time, it would just be a massive loss of money because they would be making no money under the current charter agreement. An open car without a charter would be making no money. So, obviously, they're going to push him off for a year, get him oval experience, although he would be full-time in Cup next year if they had a charter for him. But, I digress. They, the teams have a calculated, I guess, an inflated value of the charters right now, where I've been I've talked to people, and, and the it was mentioned in an article, I believe, that the projected charter value by the time the agreement would be over would be upwards of $100 million per charter. And currently, the inflated value is at $35 million. Uh, two years ago, it was at $15 million. So the teams are obviously boosting the value of these charters because they don't want them to go away. Why would they? And Jim France, who's the, the head of NASCAR, said, no, I'm not agreeing to another charter deal, because I think NASCAR wants to go back to... It's starting to stagnate the growth. New teams can't come in. The price is too high. You're seeing it with the rumors of Andretti trying to enter, uh, potentially with Spire and sort of a 50-50 deal, but obviously the charters are a bit of a mess right now. It's why Van Gisbergen is kind of in stasis for a while, Uh, but just a lot of positives and interesting things going on. I guess we'll have this abridged. Next topic. I'm going to make us, I know it was three originally, but what is your biggest, I guess your biggest surprise or negative surprise so far of of the disappointment of the regular season? Just pick one, I guess. Uh, We started with Sean last time. Dale, we're going to start with you this time. Short track package. Mm Mm-hmm. Big time. Yeah, it's, it's, People complained about North Wilkesboro, myself included. I love to see it back for nostalgic value, but man, that racing was not good. It was horrible. Yeah. Nothing happened. Nobody could pass. Mm-hmm. And on a surface that old, you know, you should have something going on. It shouldn't just be follow the leader, but they are actively working on it, and I hope they come to a resolution, even though the test was not promising that they had. But I... I, I I believe, I, I want to believe at least, that that short track package will end up better at least next season or the season after or the season after that. But yeah, that was very disappointing. For, for me, it was really a toss-up because originally one of them I had was Daniel Suarez, even though he has had a couple of top five finishes, three top five finishes, four other top tens. I, I've got to go with basically everyone else on Stuart Haas except Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick has six top fives and six top tens. And then, in comparison, Ryan Priest, only one top five finish. Chase Briscoe, three top fives, three top tens. Eric Amarola, one top five, two top tens. Everyone else has less top fives and top tens than combined than Kevin Harvick does the entire season. Now, granted, Stuart Haas has had a little bit of a, de- a decline in the past couple of years, but it's been really noticeable this season. Mm-hmm. It's been rough sledding for Stuart Haas, and we will talk about them in, in a moment uh, regarding a... Uh, we'll have that as another topic. There's a... Jordan Bianchi mentioned something on SiriusXM uh, just a few days ago. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I'd say if my biggest disappointment wasn't Chase Elliott, considering he's a former champion and obviously how the season transpired and really shot himself in the foot, ultimately with what happened at the 600 if the snowboard thing wasn't already big enough. But I'd say mine was Noah Gragson. I expected him to come into Cup. I mean, he had he ran part-time in Cup in uh, 2022. He was fairly solid in those starts, was learning, but was not nearly as all over the place as he was this year. Sure, uh, Legacy announced that it was going to be leaving Chevrolet rather early in the season, so it kind of struggled with manufacturer support. But Eric Jones and the 43 team figured things out eventually. I mean, he started reeling off top tens. He had the best average finish there for, I think it was like a six or seven week span across the summer over like 
three-fourths of the field, or not, if not the best. Eric Jones in the 43 figured it out, and that 42 was just dreadful all year long. Gregson was so close to winning Dega, but you know it all went awry, and obviously the the big issue in the room is what happened to get him suspended and now released from Legacy, even though he requested to be released. I expected more out of Gregson and Cup, and I, I don't know if he'll be back in Cup next year. I, I think Colleague Racing is looking like it might have one, if not two, open seats in Cup next year. He made most of his starts in 2022 in Cup with Colleague. I know he brings a little bit of money, so I think that would be a natural fit, but I mean, Colleague is keeping its options open, and I wouldn't be shocked if you know, Gregson maybe falls right back down to the Xfinity series, so... I, if it wasn't Elliott, I, I would go with Gragson, too. I think that was certainly a disappointment this year. So we got about five minutes left in the show. So we'll have another topic here, maybe two. Talking about Surdos Racing, Jordan Bianchi mentioned on SiriusXM just last week it could be a two-car team next year. Obviously, Stordas Racing has struggled this year. Sean just reeled off the stats. It has been rather ugly in 2023 for Stordas Racing. There's been a lot of rumors swirling around this team all season long. Josh Berry and Chase Briscoe are currently their two drivers out of four that are under contract for next year. What do you see happening? What should Stordas Racing do? Sean, we're going to start out with you. The interesting part in this for me is whether well that kind of determines what I will say about this is whether or not Stuart Haas stays with Ford because Tony Stewart did say in a quote at one point quote Stuart Haas Racing is planning on staying with Ford we're contracted for that so yeah I'd say we'll probably stay with what our contract says right now unquote so from what I've gathered about that contract Ford part of that contract is that there has to be four cars, four charters for Stuart Haas Racing. And Ford is, I don't know if they're paying Stuart Haas Racing essentially for that or not, but that is that seems to be part of the contract. So if they are staying with Ford, maybe either staying with Ford and trying to get replacements for either the 10 or the 41, or letting one go to potentially someone like 2311 who is also as you mentioned earlier in the broadcast rumored for uh, switching to ford Mm -hmm. so if they were going to sell a charter to anyone i would probably say 2311 and it's going to be expensive though it is going to be expensive it's around 40 to 50 million dollars selling so which is nuts. It, it, it really is. It's not nuts. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Dale, what do you think? I think they should downsize at this point. They've struggled for you know the last handful of years, three or four years, with four cars. And In my opinion, they should have got rid of Almirola 10 years ago. <laughs> and he didn't even drive the team 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But it, they, they need to do something. The results, I think, the writing's on the wall at this point. I agree that they should downsize to... Potentially having it to as low as two cars of just Chase Briscoe and That's Josh Berry. That is what's rumored. I th- I believe that would be a good thing for Stuart Haas Racing, especially with how lackluster the performance has been with basically everyone except Kevin Harvick these past couple of seasons. At and least. he's gone. And, yeah, yeah and, he's re- and he's retiring and Josh Berry's replacing him. So I think they should do that as well. But whether they will or not is really a different story. I agree with the fact that Stuart Haas should consider downsizing. I know Gene Haas and Tony have been public about the financials of that team in the sense that, you know, they were asked about selling a charter, what, one, two years ago? Because Stuart Haas has been struggling since 2021. I mean, this is not a this-year issue. This is a multi-year issue. And the performance has not been there for a while now. And Gene Haas said, the co-owner of the team, said that they make more money running four than they would if they downsized. But, obviously, it's not translating to a boost in performance. So, I think Barry and Briscoe would be one heck of a blue-collar team if it was the two of them. I mean, Briscoe has Mahindra, but Barry's bringing no money. He's bringing no sponsorship. Tony, Tony was very clear about that. He didn't want a pay driver in his car. He wanted a guy that 
he knew he was a blue blue collar guy, could go out there and grind it out and race. It's probably why Priest is there too. Also, considering he's a KHI guy and Kevin Arvik is there, but. I think downsizing at least one car would be the smart thing to do. I think three is manageable. I think four right now is actively hurting the team. I could be wrong. I don't work at Stuart Haas, but clearly the sky, it's a matter of people saying the sky isn't falling, but it is a little bit, and it has been for a while. And coupled with, I mean, this is public information, you know, there have been multiple PBS News reports that Haas Automation has been still breaking the the trade barriers with Russia during this war with Ukraine and Haas Automation has continued to supply Russia with CNC machines and that's a massive no-no that's breaking international law and even though Haas Automation has denied it there was a follow-up report from PBS not long ago in August it was in like mid-August and if that ends up being an issue and something happens to Haas in this deal, then goodness, I don't know if Tony would have the money to run more than one car on his own money. I, I don't know. I know he has the drag racing team, he has the sprint racing team, but a cup a cup team is way more expensive to run than both of those combined, whether it's NHRA and, and World of Outlaws. It might get a little turbulent here for Stuart Haas Racing if certain things happen in this domino effect, but if Ford ends up adding another team, I think it almost needs to. Stewart Racing has kind of fallen below, I mean, multiple Ford teams on the on the rungs of the ladder. And if, if it adds 2311 or adds Colleague, both of teams both teams rumored to at least been offered by Ford. I mean, I don't I wouldn't oppose a move back to Chevy. I know Tony is diehard a Chevy guy, uh, even though he has Dodge and NHRA and you know doesn't run Chevy in, in World of Outlaws and the sprints and stuff, but you know he ran Chevy for so long, it's why he went back to Chevy after one year at Toyota with Gibbs. I, I don't think he would have an issue going back to being a Chevy team, and I think a two-car team with Barry and Briscoe would be very solid if all of the money and the focus was compiled into those two cars. I think it could be better than what Trackhouse currently is or 2311. I think three cars would be more manageable, but you know, Priest is only on a one-year deal and hasn't really had the performance this year outside of a really good run at Richmond. And Almirola has been really nowhere on the map after coming back out of retirement after saying he was going to leave after the end of last year. I think uh, at least reducing by one car would probably be the smart thing to do here, but... It's certainly going to be a interesting off-season and silly season for Stuart Haas Racing. So, with just a minute or two left in the program, just two quick things, just some some a lightning round of sorts. Uh, Carson Hosevar, the young gun who is currently running so well in the Truck Series, he's going to be in the Legacy Motor Club 42 car for Darlington. And Matt DiBenedetto left Rackley WAR, or has announced that he will be leaving Rackley WAR at the end of the season. Just your guys' thoughts on those two things happening just today, earlier today. We'll see how Carson's run at Darlington goes. It'll be he, he took a, it'll be interesting. He took a Spire car at Gateway up to like 15th or 16th before the brake rotor blew. Mm-hmm. And that to me was massively impressive while Corey LaJoy in the 9 was still 28th. Yep. He outqualified him too. Yeah, it was fantastic actually. Um, but no, it'll, it'll be interesting because the Legacy 42 has been just a mess all season long as we previously discussed. Mm-hmm. And as for Benedetto, I hope that with him announcing him, he is leaving. That he has a backup plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sean, any thoughts? Yeah, with with Carson Hosevar, considering he also finished sixth and eighth at Daytona and Charlotte, respectively, in a Spire Motorsports car in the Xfinity Series as well. It's and also his Truck Series, his Truck Series season as well. It's. I'm not gonna say he's like a shoe in for like a top twenty finish or anything, but considering the mess that 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 car has been, but it'll be interesting to see if he can get something out of it, and I, I think he's a good driver for that. And the considering the Matt DeBenedetto uh, regarding the Matt DeBenedetto Benedetto situation, I my thoughts are basically the same as Dale's. I hope he can find a backup plan. 
Maybe third time's a charm for DiBenedetto. I mean, he's taken that leap of faith twice now, and this is effectively another one, but I'd be genuinely shocked if DiBenedetto was leaving a surefire ride after uh, that he landed under rather messy circumstances at the end of his last time he was running in Cup with Wood Brothers uh, with all of the political nonsense. He's almost primarily the reason why political sponsors are banned in NASCAR now, uh, but with what happened at Phoenix. But that's another tale for another time. I think I'd be shocked if Benedetto was leaving this ride that he didn't have to bring money to, uh, if he didn't have something better lined up. I wouldn't be shocked if, again, mentioned earlier, Colleague Racing in Cup, which has been considering all sorts of drivers this offseason to fill those two rides. There have been plenty of rumors swirling about who might be in those cars for next year. It could be anybody. But if is not bringing any money, that 31 car is covered almost entirely by Matt Colleg's own company, Leaf Filters. So he wouldn't necessarily need to bring money to that ride. And I wouldn't be shocked if that's potentially where he ends up either there or for Colleg in Xfinity and then Hosevar for the 42. I think this is another audition for a cup ride next year. There have been a lot of rumors publicly stated uh, that he might be going to Spire in the 77 car next year. And obviously Ty Dillon has had a rough go of it in that car this year. But that car hasn't had the same motors as his teammate has with Corey LaJoy in the 7. Presumably, if Carson was in that car next year, uh, provided the correct amount of money, I'm sure the engine lease would be exactly the same as the 7, and probably the performance would be relatively the same. But I think Chevy's very clearly very high on Carson Josevar, uh or multiple teams are. I think he's a hot prospect for a reason. He's winning. He could win the truck title this year. I wouldn't be shocked. He's won multiple races, and he's done... It's been a, arguably a breakout season compared to years past. I think, will he go out and win this weekend at Darlington, the 42? Oh, hell no. No, that's not happening. But, and I don't even think he would believe that, but Carson, I think it's another good opportunity. This is a tough track. Darlington, he showed a lot of promise here earlier in the season when he ran for Spire, which was in alignment with Junior Motorsports. He ran, what, P3 here? In the spring, in the spring, Darlington race, it was top. It was a top ten for sure. He was up there, but Carson was up there. This is a good track for him. He's had success here. He's almost won here in the trucks uh, multiple times, and it's going to be exciting to see what he can do in a Cup car yet again. And it'll be interesting to keep an eye out if this is a true audition for another Cup ride next year for the young Carson Hosevar. So with that. That's going to conclude tonight's program. And uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Speed Zone. We went a little over uh, the half hour here at 7, but if you're still tuning in, hopefully it was an exciting show. Uh, next week, we will be back 6.30 p.m. with more Speed Zone. Dale Garrett, Sean Kelly, thank you goes guys for being on. I'm Ben Cower. Uh, plenty of action coming up this week. So stay tuned. Watch some racing. Have a good weekend. You've been listening to another sports presentation on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network.